I'm, I'm writing. You know how to write. Without the, without the, without the writing, you have nothing. I'm writing. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Home Row, and I'm your host, Jeff Metters. And on today's show, I have another repeat guest, and he was one of the early guests, I, I want to say maybe episode two. So an early, OG, yeah. way early, an OG guest of the show, Tony Rinky. <laughs> How are you, bro? Good, man. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. I'm guessing that's a, um, a usual descriptor for you is OG. No. Original gangster. I started my blog in 2006, started podcasting in 2013. Yeah, I've been around a long time. And, you know, I, I always joke about there being kind of like a – Charlie's is probably the blog father. Yes. He – him – so if you're making like a blog Rushmore, who, who would you put on there for <laughs> our tribe? Charlie's is like the first one. Yeah, Justin Taylor is up there. I mean, yep. he was, uh, you know, before social media, he was the place you went for links. Who else would be the? Jared Wilson's been doing it for a long time. Mm, yeah, that's um, a that's a sleeper choice. I, I hadn't thought about Jared, but yeah. Yeah, the uh, band of bloggers. I mean, that whole crew back in the early days. I mean, Joe Thorne. It's been around for a long time. Uh, Brister has been around for a long time. Yep. Trevin Wax has been yeah, around for I think a Trevin, long, long time. I always joke with Trevin that I, I grew up reading his blog. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't look he doesn't look like he's 60, but he's 60 years old. <laughs> Absolutely. And so if, if we got the blog fathers, and I think we've got some pod fathers, and I some think you got to be one of the pod fathers. I don't know. I kind of you know backed my way into this. I, I was not looking to do podcasting. I'm just a journalist, a writer, and just started tinkering around with uh, microphones and preamps and recording software and kind of geeked out on the technology of it and started doing it. I don't know. You know, I've never really listened to a lot of podcasts, so I don't know who's been doing it for a long time, but uh, there hasn't been many. So. If I'm going to guess on Podfather, I'm going to go for smoothest, butteriest voice, and it's got to be you. Stop it. When I listen to my recorded voice, I cringe. You know, it, it's probably like you watching yourself preach yeah. on video. Like there's oh, something it's that's like, I, yeah, people say I have a wonderful voice. I can't hear it. Like it just sounds weird because, you know, my voice sounds totally different than what it sounds like to you you know? Right. So I don't know. But Tony, for the people out there who don't know who you are, um, why don't you just tell, tell everybody listening a little bit about yourself? Yeah. I'm an author. I work for desiringgod.org for John Piper's ministry. I've been there since 2012. I host his podcast, ask pastor John. We're about 1400, 1500 episodes into that project. Now it started in, uh, January of 2013, just as a, something we wanted to do for a year. Uh, pastor John was going on, um, an extended leave away from Bethlehem Baptist church as he transitioned out of the leadership team and, uh, handed it off to the new senior pastor, Jason Meyer. And so he wanted to spend a year in Knoxville and we were just like, Hey, we need to create some mechanism. So the pastor John's voice, uh, sounds close to, to Minneapolis and DG. And I propose that we start a podcast and do it for a year, do 400 episodes and then pretty much call it quits. And so we launched it. I think our first episode went up four days after my proposal was sent out and I've been doing that ever since. And uh, we've just continued to, to grow that and to, you know, we had seasons of guests. We have uh, seasons where we had pastor John doing five episodes a week, three episodes a week. Now it's down to two episodes a week. And then I do a curated one on Wednesdays. Um, so that takes most of my time. And then I'm also a senior teacher. So I travel around and, uh, preach at local churches, lead conferences. And, um, so that's been a lot of fun. That's been a new change in the past year of taking on more, more speaking and more travel. So 
That's what I do. I've written five books. Uh, I live in Phoenix with my wife, and we've got three kids, an 18-year-old son, a 14-year-old daughter, and a 12-year-old son. So pretty busy. Yeah. Now, I was uh, – I'm not going to lie, man. I-, I was a little heartbroken when you put on Facebook – oh, my goodness. Before you guys moved to Phoenix, he said, where should we live? <laughs> and I, says, I, didn't. I put Houston. Houston's great. Better food. And all that, but as Houston soon as you food. put out, Houston definitely has food and humidity. And yeah, the humidity. The humidity I, I think me. that's what drove you out. Yeah, yeah, I've been, you know, born in Nebraska, lived in the East Coast, lived in Minneapolis for eight years. Um, the humidity is always my kryptonite. That's the thing that just takes all of my energy away. So we had to find a place that uh, would have low humidity. So pretty much the de- desert Southwest was pretty much what we were looking for. Either Denver. Like a Vegas area, Phoenix had to be by a close, uh, a big airport. So those were kind of the big three cities. Yeah, he made a good choice. He made a good choice. Houston is miserable uh, <laughs> weather wise. I mean, when we travel, yeah, any I go anywhere else in the United States, I immediately I think, why do I live in Houston? <laughs> it's a nice city. I mean, it. It, there's a lot of positives. I mean, the basketball team. You got to love the basketball in Houston. Um, and I know you do. The food is amazing. Um, yeah, it seems like the the interstate's under construction permanently. I don't know if there's like, <laughs> yes. a, like it's just like that's the that's the one thing I know when I go to Houston, my GPS is going to be worthless, and I'm going to have to figure out oh, how yeah. the interstates work on my own, uh, which is a little bit frightening for me. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, Phoenix was yep. definitely Phoenix was pretty high on the list to begin with, and then once we traveled out here and. Uh, uh, found good schools for the kids and found a number of different things that we were looking for. Um, it, it would, it just became a no brainer to move to Phoenix. So, yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. If you don't follow Tony on Instagram, you can go find him there and he's sharing videos and pictures of them out in the, uh, in the desert. And it looks like a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. As long as you can uh, avoid the rattlesnakes, they're definitely out there. Um, Man, have you seen, um, the riot and the dance? Yes. Documentary? Oof. Well, yeah. When you said rattlesnakes, man, that's the first thing that jumped in my mind. Yeah. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, maybe. Uh, but it'll be in the transcript, so people need to – I don't need show notes. We'll no. just – people can go look it up. Okay. We should talk about writing at some point. Let's do. Actually, I mean, the reason we moved to Phoenix is because I wanted to do more writing. I mean, so we've, we're already talking about writing because I, I needed to live in a place where humidity was low. I could work outside, be outside year-round, and so Phoenix is the place. As we were thinking through this decision, I was like, I could work in my office 10 hours a day. Um, you know, the, the self-quarantine lifestyle is basically my lifestyle all the time, right? Same, yeah. Yeah, and so I could do that. The problem is my body can't handle that. Physically, my body just falls apart in this sedentary lifestyle, especially when I'm forced to be indoors, you know, for months at a time, like in the wintertime in Minneapolis. So I needed to be able to get out from my computer, get outside, and do that year-round. And so, you know, I knew that there was one author um, that I that I know of and i'm sure you would know of and all the listeners would know of who moved to phoenix to sort of jumpstart re-jumpstart his writing career and i texted him and i just said hey what's what's phoenix been like for you as a writer and he says i love it i get to work outside here's a picture of my setup and on his back patio he had his laptop he had a stack of books and that was his his most productive place was outside in the back of his house which he did year round uh, even when it's super hot, you can work outside because the humidity is low. And so um, that was sort of the thing that just clinched the deal for me. Having those low humidity, dry mornings, it just it just compels you to be outside early, uh, compels you to be outside late. Um, so it was really, 
it was really for wanting to to write more that we moved to Phoenix. I mean, that would, that would be one of my driving motives is to to find a place where um, I could care for my body and also put in ten hours a day in in work and yeah. not uh, not sacrifice my body. So I needed to be somewhere where I could be outside year round. That's incredible. That, that I would have never thought about it that way. Um, cause I mean, writing here in Houston, you can't go outside and write, right? Yeah. You, you just your computer will die from the heat and the humidity. It'll get water on the, on the moisture on the hard drive and the motherboard. It's toast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's really neat. And so, um, the weather's nice out here as advertised. We're coming up on a, a, almost a year now of being out here in Phoenix. And, uh, I often tell my wife, like, it feels like we're living in, in an, like an Airbnb, like it doesn't even feel real yet. And so, um, we're starting to get those year round routines in place. Um, things do change. I mean, it's going to be 105 degrees this week, you know, so the heat is here already mm. in April, <laughs> which is crazy. So there are certain things you can't do midday that you could, uh, during the winter months. Um, but yeah, I feel invigorated. I feel like, um, the more life routines that I have sort of set in place, the more I can free up mental space for creativity. And that's always been for me, the key, make as much of life as routine as possible, and then use those life routines to fuel creativity. Put your creativity Absolutely. into the writing, into the book projects, into the podcasting, and not have to think about uh, all the other aspects of life and rethink those patterns seasonally. So to have just one life routine that pretty much doesn't change 12 months out of the year uh, is just incredible. So that's why I wanted to move to Phoenix because it feels like it's a place where I can write and be the most productive and carry the, the heaviest workload of creativity. Um, and I, I, I'm feeling the productivity. I've written more in the past year than I ever have. I've preached more in the last year than I ever have traveled more in the last year than I ever have. And, uh, it feels like having these sort of routines at home, allow me to carry a pretty heavy workload and carry it for the long haul for years to come, Lord willing. Man, as you talk about those routines and and rhythms and productivity and all that stuff, it, it made me think of uh, a couple things. One, I have really toyed with the idea of just, I'm going to wear a black t-shirt every day. Yeah. You know, like, didn't Einstein do that or... Or he just had like the same wardrobe every day. I know Zuckerberg does. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, most creatives have some sort of a routine. This is the the thing they do every day. Yeah. And there's a lot of book of routines. What was that? Do you remember what that book oh, was? Uh, had like little daily, daily rhythms, daily, daily habits. Yeah. Something or... like that. It had like 40, 50, 60 yeah. people in it. Yeah. And, and a lot of that is just those routines being set in place. And, uh. Of course, there's a lot of alcohol and drugs as well in that book, but there's a lot of routines, you know, about creatives just getting into a routine so they don't have to think about yeah. it. So having the same meal every Monday, having the same meal every Tuesday or whatever it is, you just automate certain things in life. And uh, for, for me and for a lot of creatives, that translates into more creative energy. Yeah. I was telling my wife, I said, I'm, I'm thinking about just going to the same pair of jeans and the same black t-shirt every day and then just decide my sneakers. I, I still got to decide my sneakers. <laughs> you, go. you know, it's going to be Jordans. I'm going to wear some Hardens. Like what, what's happening there you here? Go. She said, whatever you got to do. Just <laughs> so I, it was more of a, I don't really care, Jeff. So now during the pandemic, how have your you know routines, have they changed a lot? I was just telling somebody the other day, I said, yeah, mine have all been burned to the ground <laughs> and I'm, I'm having to rebuild them. So, so what does that look like for you? Yeah, so my routines, I wanted to find a house where um, there's an elevation hike out my front door. 
Um, and so I, I already was looking for a place pre pre virus to find a place where I could get up from my desk, go for a four mile hike and come back and go back to work. And so because we were able to find a house like it, that fit the bill, wonderful, quiet neighborhood up tucked by a, a hill in North Phoenix, my routine has really been the same. I mean, I, my writing habits, my work habits are pretty identical during this self quarantine. I mean, self quarantine is my life, I guess is what I'm, I'm discovering. You know, I work and I record and I do everything online. And so this remote productivity lifestyle is just the norm for me. So there hasn't really been a lot of changes. Having the kids home from school has been a change. Being able to eat lunch with them every day has been fun, uh, spending more time with them, but otherwise it's, it's identical. Um, the wife and I, we used to go like to a local gym three times a week. Now we have a home gym that we kind of built in our garage. So that's different, but otherwise, no, there's, there's really not been a lot of changes. Um, because we found a place where we could be outside, we could go hiking from our front door. We're really blessed to be able to find a place in Phoenix that sort of met all of the things that we were looking for. And then the pandemic hits and we're quarantined at this at home and we're, we've sort of built a home to be quarantined in. Yeah. So you've, you've, you've been prepping for this. You're yeah, a prepper. I'm a prepper. I've been prepping for this <laughs> virus. 50 years worth of beans and rice in my closet. No, I'm kidding. You got it. I, no. I, I'm sure my aunt still has stuff from Y2K that we <laughs> could use if if I needed. Yeah. Yeah, man. My routines and everything has just been ripped to shreds. Uh, you know, my wife, she, still, she works in an essential business, and so she's going in okay. and having to lead the troops there with their water filtration company. And so I've been at home uh, now as the English teacher, the history teacher, <laughs> the craft time coordinator. I, I run a concession stand for an hour a day. Um, I'm the gym teacher. It's <laughs> It's just a nightmare. Oh man! I, I I love I love the extra time we have together and the the movies we're watching and the fun and the games and playing basketball and you know I just shattered my daughter at around the world yesterday. <laughs> um, I was being totally merciful when we started and then she threw the ball. She passed the ball to me pretty hard when I wasn't looking. Uh oh! And it drilled me in the head. Oh! And I had to pray to my like Lord help me be Christ like right now because I'm really like mad and like okay spirits helping me giving yeah. me patience and teaching her okay here's how to do a bounce pass and all that and she just awakened that mamba mentality <laughs> and I just went around the world once just I didn't miss so it's game over you're, <laughs> you're going to your Latin work now um, so that's my world man did you see and, the ESPN video of uh, that dad who took his son out to pitch with, like wiffle balls and the dad just went yard every time. I'm just crushing <laughs> every pitch that this little kid offered. You got to do it. You got to do it, man. Yeah, Something my son about being is a six. faithful father is to show your kids what physical prowess you, you've got. That's right. Like we know, like our kids are hardwired. They think the world revolves around them and we got to show them. You got to hey. show them. Yeah. Oh man, I love it. And my son is six and he, he thinks he can beat me in a race. And so I'll jog next to him and let him pass me at the end. But then when he starts talking a lot of trash, I say, let's do this again. And then I just go full speed and <laughs> he'll be near tears and just say, hey, man, I, this is this is reality. Yeah. Let's go. Let's do it yeah. again. And then, then he beats me again and all that. So, yeah. So how do you, yeah, so my how rhythms do you put together and stuff sermons? Like, is, like when do you put your sermons together now? When do you research? When do you write them? I download them from sermon.com. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> type you my name on top. Name. Yeah. 
That's right. Now, so usually, so now, every, so before, before coronavirus, it would be, sermon would be done probably by Friday. Um, maybe, you know, maybe a little bit of editing would bleed into Saturday, preach it on Sunday. Yeah. Well, now I'm having to preach Thursday night. And so, man, that took, that was just so weird um, to get with it. So now on even Monday, I'm doing a little, I mean, I'm just schooling my kids. And so it's like, hey, it's nap time or go play Fortnite for as long as you want. <laughs> Um, and, and I'll start outlining, start reading, start thinking. So it's, it's in chunks and it's in pieces. I, I don't feel like I'm getting to navigate into the, the deep work that, um, Cal Newport talks about really until like Wednesday evening, afternoonish, mm-hmm. and Thursday mornings. Got it. And so like, I'll get it three, four hours of uninterrupted. And once my wife gets home, I just stay in my study and then really try to rip through these. And I'm trying to make my sermons shorter too. Um, I feel like staring at me for 40 ish minutes is just, no one wants that (laughs) on a TV. And so I've been trying to go 30, 35, um, which I was already kind of doing. It feels weird in person live. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very difficult. And so I'm reading, you know, still trying to read the same amount of commentaries, um, and do all that and still manuscript. And so actually when we're done, um, I've read everything that I've needed to read for first John and I'm going to sit down, put on uh, the Ulysses writing app, put a word target goal for about 1700, 2000 words and, uh, knock it out. Nice. See, then I'll preach it live. Then you, okay. You were, you record Thursday and then does this, the sermon is distributed on Sunday. Yep. Okay. Yeah, they, and then do you have a worship leader guys, or music or we do. Yeah. We're, we're doing almost a full, we're doing a full service. Like what we would do. Okay. We have a church in the area, you know, we sold our building and we are renting, renting from a high school cause we're building on our yeah. um, 11 acres. And so we don't own any like buildings right wow. now. Um, so another church in the area, really grateful. They let us use like this huge, uh, children's room that obviously they're not using their building at all is all like quads. They're a campus of okay. another church in Houston. And so we set up in there, we have one soundstage that's for worship, it's for singing. And then we have one soundstage that's for preaching. And so the one camera records music and they're putting the lower thirds on the bottom, like through pro presenters. So the words are there. Um, and then over there I'll be preaching. I'll walk up preach and they were doing the lower thirds of like verses I was referencing and stuff on the bottom. Yep. But this week we're doing TV in the background. Um, Got so it. I can have like more pictures and, and more interactive stuff, um, like going on. So yeah. So I mean, cool. it's just like but a that's full all service. Done. That's all done for you Thursday night. Then you're at home on Sunday with the fam, just watching, watching and okay. uh, self-loathing. Yep. <laughs> self-loathing, watching yourself preach on video. Yeah. Ah, it's horrible. So then is the worship live? Yeah. Okay, cool. All of it. Yeah, and we do, and we're doing communion. I know. Yeah, that's bad. It's horrible. I feel like, but you know, there's so many articles about all of them. Like, I get it. Like, of course. Yeah. This not this is not ideal, but none of this is ideal. And so for me personally, as a pastor, I just felt like I'd like for our people to, here's how I viewed it. If we have deacons and people are even encouraging people who are sick in hospitals or in isolation at home or on hospice or whatever, we would tell them to take the Lord's Supper under that, you know, kind of conditions, under these conditions of a global pandemic. (laughs) um, I'm going to, I'm going to say, Hey, let's, let's take it. And you've got families and and stuff, people doing it together. So I know it's not ideal and I'm sure I'll get an email or something. Just give out your email address right here. 
send all cards right. to it's uh what's your email where's some players up real quick <laughs> i'm gonna bleep. i'm gonna bleep <laughs> i wouldn't read it i wouldn't i wouldn't do it um i should have done it that would have been hilarious I'm let you bleep it um okay so now you're it's not well i'm sure i bet you've got another book do you have another book in the hopper like on the way yeah i've got two i've got a book on okay. technology that I'm working on right now, God's relationship to human technology. I've developed it as five lectures. Um, and so that's the current structure of it. I've never done a lecture to book model, but I want to try it. Um, I know it's uh, pretty much impossible to do a sermon to book model really well, as I'm aware of yeah. how challenging that can be. But for me, the lecture model really helps me to focus on uh, structure. In this case, it's, this is going to be one of the sort of like uh, hardest books for me to write uh, because there's so much uh, secondary material I need to work through. And so, and then I wrote a little book on parenting in the digital age, which is now out for feedback. Um, and that's a real small book that I put together. So those are the two things in the works right now. Yeah, that's really exciting. I think all of your stuff right now that you have um, about the digital age, the phone, um, man, so timely, so mm -hmm. well, so well written, so well researched and a real gift. Uh, people, I know people at our church, we had a lot of small groups and people were reading your your, your book with the 12 ways, phones that's changing you. Um, yeah, man, so great. And <laughs> I put this on Twitter yesterday. I don't know if you saw it. I thought of you said, well, here, here's the level I'm at for um, teaching during the self quarantine is convincing myself about the educational value of Fortnite. <laughs> so Fortnite teaches you teamwork, teaches okay. you economics. You've got to spend those V bucks wisely. It teaches you engineering. I mean, all the building of forts, um, it teaches you physics Throwing yep. grenades and when you're shooting those sniper bullets, yep. you got to account for distance. People in the back. Yep. Time. Yep. Yep. Teaches you self-defense. Teaches you um, geometry, geography, music, art. You can spray yep. paint. Teaches you can you dance. How to jump off the roof of your house with a kite. Yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Parenting <laughs> in the digital <laughs> digital age. <laughs> So I if, mean, you, need, if like, you need a story of a parent who's lost it, who's lost it. All right. I'll include you in the book. Parents who lost it. No, I think there's a big debate right now. Like, do you relax uh, time restraints during a quarantine or not? My wife and I have gone back on back and forth on that. It just seems like, you know, when you're stuck at home, there are things you can do that are offline, off screens, but you also have way more time to be on screens, to watch documentaries. We're watching the chosen series. Uh, which yeah, is I haven't started Jesus. that yet. It's really interesting. I mean, we're only four episodes in as a family, but it's, it's promising. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's possibilities. Um, what I like about social media right now is there's nothing going on. And so for me, it's really easy to be offline off social media. And I hope other people can are feeling that too. Like there's so little going on that the only thing that brings me back to social media really is my compulsive habit to want to check. Yes. But there's no yeah, highlights. I... There's no baseball highlights, no basketball playoff highlights. <sighs> there's, I mean, it's, it's painful. You got the last dance. Uh, uh, the praise last the Lord for the last fun. dance. Oh man. I mean, that's yeah, mostly I... my childhood is, is Pippin, Jordan, Tyson, Bo Jackson. I mean that the, my formative years are Tyson, Bo Jackson, uh, Jordan and Pippin. Jordan, Elijah, on. Yeah. Oh man, that that had to be. I, I had a goldfish named Scotty Pippen. <laughs> that because you know Pippen was on the Rockets for a year. I didn't maybe, know that. Or, I did or, not or know two. that. Yeah, with there Elijah was one Wan? year with Elijah Wan, with oh. Charles Barkley and what? Clyde Drexler. It was, but they were all on the back nine of their career. I mean, they oh. were terrible. 
Man, what a yeah. lineup. That's incredible. Yeah. I didn't know that. Super cool. They had the ugliest jerseys in the league. It's it's not a good memory, but it was cool <laughs> to have Scotty Pippen yeah. and to have my goldfish named Scotty Pippen. <laughs> not I'd even just name him Pippen or Scotty, but Scotty Pippen was what I would call <laughs> my goldfish. The full name. The full I'm name. Sure Scotty would be honored. <laughs> That's his legacy. Of <laughs> That's goldfish. his legacy. Most underpaid star the last in dance. basketball history yeah. and uh, Jeff Metter's childhood goldfish. Man, his agent has just got to be feeling horrible. I could get a better contract than what Scotty Pippen got. That was incredible. I mean, he did have back issues, though, right? Like yeah. there was. This is always the risk with an NBA player, right? If if you know, you sometimes they get healed, and what broke doesn't break again, and sometimes it's it's a chronic problem, right? And you you never really yeah. know what it's going to be. Yeah, you see that with uh, Boogie Cousins, yep. DeMarcus Cousins. He just kept re-injuring his ankle or Achilles or something. And just, man, one contract after another after another, just a million dollar, million dollar, one year, you know, whatever. Uh, it's tough. Yeah, it's, it's tough it really being is. a millionaire these days. Okay, so you wrote, uh, let's talk about Competing <laughs> Spectacles, which is such a great book. Um, now, it's uniquely organized. And I know that you tweeted about this, or maybe you wrote about it on your on your blog. Um, and I noticed it right away. As soon as you open it, there's these little like squiggle symbols yep. instead of the conventional chapter markers. And so walk walk us through the, uh, the vision for writing the book in this way. And what is, I'm going to be very Mandalorian right now. What is the way? This is the way. Um, I, I, I wanted to write a book that people who struggle to read would read a book entirely. Um, I wanted to grab attention of a Netflix binger. I wanted to grab the attention of a Fortnite binger. I wanted to write a book that was fun, interesting to read, and uh, something that people would love to read and would finish. I mean, I, th I think so many people finish so few books that I wanted to write one that was like manageable. And um, so that meant w one of the things I wanted to do is get away from the chapter model uh, that dominates book publishing. Um, because I think that force is kind of an abnormal structure onto a book. Typically you have one really good chapter, uh, in a book and that kind of drives a book project. And so whatever that really good chapter is, whatever the longest, most robust chapter is, that sort of sets the standard for what all other chapters need to become. And so as a writer, you feel like, okay, I've, I'm writing a 12 chapter book and I've got this one chapter that's really good. And all the other 11 chapters have to match it in length. In stature, sometimes you can pull that off, but a lot of times what that does is it just makes the weaker chapters longer, and um, that is really destructive, I think, to an overall book project. And so I've never liked that model. And so with competing spectacles, I said I'm going to try to write a book with no chapters. It's all section headings. Those are those little squiggly lines. Yeah, it's a uh, 33 sections. Um, that's all it is. It's just 33 sections in. 33 uh, sections separated by two parts. So there's part one and a part two, um, which makes for a really epic table of contents because you see all 33 of those, those titles for each <laughs> section. And it's not a long book. And then, of course, you know, in the end, I wanted a book to glorify Christ. I, I wanted to write a book that was just full of Christ. I think it was Newton or um, it might have been Spurgeon who had this great line, something like there's, there's no Christian reader who ever begrudges an author for giving them too much of Christ. Mm. And that's what I wanted this book to be. I wanted it to just be loaded with the glory of Christ and uh, to make it readable, uh, to make it something that you could read in a couple settings um, and to have, be an enjoyable book to read something that I would want to read. Um, so that's basically how the structure came about. 
I love it. And you, you nailed it, of course. Uh, such a Christ-exalting book of, and the stuff um, in Colossians mm-hmm. about the, the spectacle of, of Christ and the cross. Uh, just so, so good. I appreciate that. How did, the, uh, how did the idea come about for, for competing spectacles just in general? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been noodling on this idea for a number of years. Number one, like, how do you address entertainment and mass media with Christians? Um, I've done a number of online surveys, one big one through DG where I surveyed 8,000 Christians about their media habits. And what I found was like 85% of Christians think their media habits are healthy. So basically what you have are a a dominant pre-understanding that Christians hold that that they're not really going to self critique or self adapt their media habits. Most Christians think they're doing all right. So if you write a book and say like, well, if you play Fortnite, you're sinning. And if you play Fortnite, you know, for too long, you're really sinning. And if you play Fortnite, if you don't play Fortnite at all, then you're more virtuous. And if you play, if you, if you don't binge Netflix, then you're more holy. If you do binge Netflix, you're less holy. Like a lot of people want the, these sort of like standards to come in and say like, oh, rated MA, don't touch it. Rated R, don't touch it. PG 13. Um, now we're starting, you know, is it okay to watch PG 13 and what do you do with, um, you know, the, the comic book movies and, and so where this whole conversation typically gets routed is like what media is sinful and which media is virtuous. And when I started to like bring, um, people together and, and, and have these surveys, what I started to realize is that it's such a polarizing discussion that you don't get anywhere. I mean, people just all of a sudden, as soon as you say PG-13 is virtuous or sinful, I mean, it's just like these polarized groups of people just just react in certain ways that it, it's impossible to further any kind of discussion. And so it, because of how hard it is to open conversations about Christians and media diets, I knew I needed to take a totally different route. And so instead of looking at the the virtue or sinfulness of particular media, particular movies, games, things like that, what I needed to do is take an approach that assumes that everything that a Christian is ingesting is morally virtuous or at least not overtly sinful. And then look at the actual, the saturation point. So how much media are you feasting on? Uh, could be news, could be Hallmark channel, could be G rated movies, whatever. Like let's, let's look at this from a saturation standpoint. You can give your life completely 24 seven to good, wholesome media. So that's, that's how I tried to recast the conversation does not necessarily look at what media is sinful and which is virtuous, but let's look at how the saturation point of all this media is changing our lives. Um, and when do we need to say stop? When do we need to back away from the screens? When do we need to, well, really, how can we gauge that the media is, is having a disastrous impact on us spiritually? And then that gets into the affections. Like, where are my affections at? Are my affections dull? Are they dead? Why? How am I uh, habituating my soul on the the glitz of digital media? And what does that do to our love and delight in Christ? And so I, I kind of took a whole different approach. And uh, instead of looking at particular media and whether it's sinful uh, or virtuous, I went ahead and just assumed that a lot of media is not inherently sinful and how much of it can we consume without disastrous effects on our own souls. So that's kind of the approach that I took. It was different than most books on media um, and looked more at the affections and the saturation aspect. Yeah. 
man, so, so wise. And I, I think what you're getting at is I remember hearing a long time ago of them, this guy giving a concert and he was talking about his, his songs. And one of the things that he said is, is that Christians, we, a lot of times we just desire new laws because we're used to living under the law, um, and not the law of Christ and not being led by the spirit. And so just tell me what I can't watch. Right. Um, tell me what's too much. Um, tell me, uh, just tell me what to do instead of inquiring of the Lord and instead of doing the, the work of our own hearts and instead of having a gauge of our spirituality. Um, like, so we, we need that, uh, that kind of wisdom. And I think it was Brandon Smith. He, he just wrote a review of, uh, so shout out to a fake listener of the show, Brandon Smith. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he, he wrote an article about Gavin Ortland's uh, new book, yeah. finding the right hills to die on. And one of the analogies that Brandon used in the article about, you know, Gavin's work on theological triage and stuff is that Gavin does so well is the book is not going to give you a list of, Mm -hmm. you know, here's where the doctrine is going to be, but more of a compass. Here's how to think through and navigate and and follow that. And I I think you help give us those same, those same kind of bearings, um, for, for navigating media in, in this age. I appreciate that. Yeah, it really does come down to the affections and like what what is this uh, media landscape that we get to enjoy, which is incredible. I love being alive in this age. The fact that we have VR, the way that, you know, the the kind of video game landscapes that we get to enjoy now are just phenomenal. Um, There's so many different gaming options. There's so many different movie options. Just on 1917 with my family is amazing. It's just a phenomenal film. Yeah, unfortunately, the theaters closed. I was coming back from a trip uh, right before they closed down our state, and uh, man, I I was so looking forward to seeing it in the theater, and it never happened. So we we just watched it in our living room. It wasn't the same effect, you know. I love going to see the big uh, Marvel movies in 3D. Yeah. You know, like I want to see the biggest. You know, I want to see it in its 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 full glory. And so it's wrestling with like, okay, so there's a lot of media that's not explicitly sinful. What do we do with that? How do we teach our kids to grow up in that? Because um, there's just a glut of documentaries. There's a glut of video games. There's a glut of things that are not explicitly sinful that we just need to learn to navigate. And and that's the only way that I really know how to go about this, this conversation. And especially because it's gotten so polarized is uh, what, what do these beautiful landscapes what are these incredible digital media doing to our spiritual affection so we show up on sunday to church and it seems boring the lord's table seems boring the sermon seems boring the worship songs seem boring but i'm spending all week feeding myself on this glut of of worldly spectacles that just have my affections have my loves have my awe have my attention and uh, are we okay with that that's my question I'm, i'm saying are we okay with that um, or if when we show up on Sunday and we're bored with the sermon on Christ, is that exposing that we're feeding on sort of the sugar buzz of media all week and we, we no longer have the affectional bandwidth to be amazed at who Christ is. And if we, if that's the case, then that's the bigger concern rather than, you know, is your media virtuous or sinful? Cause you can watch the Hallmark channel all week long and still find Christ boring on Sunday. Mm-mm-mm. Preach it. Preacher, brother. I got my hands in the air right now. <laughs> when a, uh, when all of this is lifted, we're going to we're gonna bring you to Houston. Oh, I'd love and, to. Uh, in the, have you come do some workshops. Not in the summer, though. 
Just in the summer. Just in <laughs> July. Now, you've taken a lot of the material from Competing Spectacles, I think, or maybe some new stuff, and you would reference these lectures that, that you're giving now. Um, well, how was that experience? Because I know you went and did that in Seattle, right? Right before all of this happened. Yeah, so I took um, – this. Is, that's actually a different project. So I'm looking at uh, technology in the macro realm. So looking at genetics, looking at space travel, looking at uh, agricultural technology. And so those were the lectures that I took to Seattle, did uh, two okay. of those in Seattle. Seattle, and then uh, uh, I've got a Zoom call coming up in May. I'm going to do a five-part, the whole five parts to uh, a group of Christians in Silicon Valley. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, it, it's really interesting to see how these lectures land on Christians because most Christians really don't know how to bring God into the equation of technology. And so uh, God sort of seems distant when it comes to human technology, or there's an ant antithetical relationship between them. And so it's really fascinating to show. And, you know, in, in 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You, uh, another book I wrote, I have a little 10-page theology of technology. Um, and so this, this project now, these five lectures are just me expounding uh, and expanding on those 10 pages. So if you want kind of a summary of that, it's kind of a, an intro in the 12 Ways book. But... Yeah, that's been going really well, and that's why this technology book, which now exists in five lectures, is just going to slowly percolate now over the, the next year or so. You just get a lot of feedback, uh, present those lectures, did two in Seattle, I'll do four or five uh, with the Silicon Valley group, and um, just going to get some feedback and see how it lands on people, see where I need to develop it more. But uh, competing spectacles, I haven't done a whole lot with it. I've just put together my first message, honestly, on competing spectacles, a 50-minute message that I'll do probably in two parts. And I'll take that internationally, Lord willing, if the international trips that are in the books uh, happen, I'll be in France and Italy in November to present that mm. two-part message. And that'll be the first time I've done a competing spectacles message. Uh, so that's forthcoming. Yeah, cool. Do you know if those will be recorded and available anywhere? Those will. They'll be recorded and translated. Okay. So I don't know consecutive translation if that's fun to watch uh, or not. But I'll probably do uh, uh, in an English setting. I'll do the the message as one part. So yeah, cool, cool. All right. As we get closer towards towards the end now, I, I've been doing this new feature with uh, with some guests. I don't always remember to do it. So I remembered today. I uh, I did this on my last episode with Patrick Schreiner. And it didn't work out so well because he went a different way with it. Uh, that's okay, Patrick. Love you, bro. <laughs> um, this is like MTV Cribs. This is Home Row Cribs. <laughs> Riders Cribs. I need to like, figure out how to lay over the music yeah. on, on top Some with, 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 from, so, yeah. from MTV. Yeah. And so show us your – like walk us through some of your writing space. So like, like me and my house, I, I've got my desk. I've got my uh, sugar skull from Mexico sitting over here. Just you know, different things yeah. that I love that are in my writing space. So, uh, so what's your writing space like? I, my writing space is an audio recording studio. I mean so I'm surrounded by a black egg crate acoustic phone. Uh, like tiles on the wall and then I've got microphones all over of all shapes and I've got some mixers and a couple preamps and some wires some SD cards uh, I've got a handheld recorder I take on the road it's just a mess of basically audio equipment um, so when I write I'm either sitting here or I'll take my laptop out on the back patio and and write out there um, I've got AirPod uh, is it AirPods? Is that what they're called? AirPods. Yeah, Air AirPods. Yeah. I've got AirPod Pod Pro headphones now. Uh, oh, I just ordered some last night. Yeah, they're really nice. I like them. I like the feature of doing the uh, active noise cancellation or being able yeah. to hear the ambient sound. Um, 
So I write books on Saturday mornings. That's kind of the in, most intense time of my week is uh, Saturday a.m., 7 a.m. to noon. Um, but I have a lot of ideas, a lot of riffs that I'll just dictate into Evernote throughout the week. And then I kind of process those on Saturdays. But I'll do that typically inside at my desk, which is a recording studio. So that's what I'm yeah. looking at. I've got a Spurgeon bobblehead right in there front we go. center. Now, Thanks which uh, the, there's uh, two Spurgeon bobbleheads. Yeah. Which, which one Western is Baptist that? Theological Seminary. MBTS.edu, <laughs> shout out, or the Spurgeon Center. Yeah, so this is the one with the arm up. Arm up, pointing to Spurgeon's Jesus. Spurgeon's got his arm up. Yep, set your that's mind right. on things above where Christ is. That's, mm. what he's, that's what he's telling me right there, holding his Bible, that's pointing up. That's the spectacle. Up. That's exactly right. And so he sits front and center. Yeah, I have the old old one from Southern Seminary, hands down, hands with down. a scowl. <laughs> yeah. This looks like a happy Spurgeon. Yeah, on mine, I've got my James Harden bobblehead. He's right across from me. <laughs> MVP trophy in hand. Awesome. And then um, there's a Thanos yep. Funko Pop Yep. over there. Um, there's a Baby Groot. I think he fell um, somewhere over there. Uh, let's see. I have a, have a monastery like icon wood print ah. that's almost eye level. So if I'm looking at my computer and I look away just to the left, I can see it. And it's a, I guess, rendition painting. I don't know the print of the road to Emmaus and Jesus talking to the two guys on the road, telling them the whole Bible is about him. That's so cool. I love being able to see that just if I'm sitting here kind of staring off into space while I'm either writing an article or writing a sermon is I can just see that, you know, portrayal of that account in the scriptures and, and just be reminded of it. That's, that's, cool. that's got to be one of my favorite pieces. That's cool. I, I'm kind of used to moving around. So like, I, I don't have a whole lot of, I don't have any wall hangings. I, t I sell off half my books every time we move. So my library is oh my pretty goodness. manageable. It's about 800 volumes print. And then mostly Logos is what I use for research. So my desk, I, I try to think of my desk as kind of a virtual space. I mean, I really am. Most of my research is done electronically now. Um, I do read certain books that I'm going to read for research. I'll, I'll read them in print cover to cover, but otherwise, um, I really like having most of the resources I need on my computer so I can go to a coffee shop. I can go to an office. I can go somewhere else and be fully productive. Ooh, man. So five hours on Saturdays, that's what you're, you're knocking out yes, books, working that's on them. When the books have to happen is my wife's idea. Um, all credits are her on it. Um, but yeah, when we moved to Minneapolis and Crossway had wanted me to write the Newton book, I was just like, there's just no way I can pull this off. Starting to work at DG, I knew that was going to be a demanding job. And then also writing bo a book like the Newton one. Um, and my wife was like, Hey, instead of spending Saturday together as a family doing house projects and then having a family afternoon together, why don't you just write books 7am to noon and then transition and hang out with the family at noon. And, uh, that was a really wise decision eight years ago is what we've stuck to. And really, it's really helpful too, for me, because I can really flip that switch. Like I, I pour everything I got into writing. And then uh, at noon, I flip that switch and it's, I just don't think about books anymore. I'm thinking about the family. And so rather than sort of like these d mushy days where I'm sort of like half thinking about family, half thinking about work and half thinking about, you know, writing projects and stuff, it was really helpful to take that, that sixth day of work Saturday. So the Bible tells us to work six days a week. Right. Hmm. And Saturday said, you know, just put that dividing line at noon and then be able to have a pretty full day with the family and a full day of writing. Um, yeah. and so that's been the, the pattern ever since. I love it. Love it, man. It's very wise. Helpful. What's uh two books, two books you're reading right now 
you just rapid fire them that that you're really enjoying i i'm reading all of the works by vaclav schmiel is his name he's a technologist oh yeah 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 so i'm right who hasn't (laughs) vaclav schmiel i mean that's a household name Um, so i'm reading his book on the 20th century 20th century and the technological uh rise of the 20th century transitions that happened between 18 uh what does he draw the line i think he draws it like leading up to world war one going back to like 1870 so that's pretty fascinating and then i'm reading his book on energy uh just looking at how much energy do we expend in a day how much energy can a coal plant produce how much energy could a horse produce and like looking at the world through uh energy distribution tabulations so it's a really fascinating hmm. approach to viewing the world um using uh pretty universal standards for uh energy output and looking at the human body looking at animals and animals used in farming and then looking at tractors looking at coal plants atomic plants like um and just getting a picture of of how the world really is a story of energy and yeah. so he he just thinks that way he puts a number on every reality and tries to compare and contrast things in ways that's really helpful and then i just read his book on um uh the beginning of ammonia uh fertilizers in farming and how that transformed the world he would say the most in, uh, the most influential change that's ever come about through human technology man i don't think i've thought about coal plants since playing sim city <laughs> that has to be Dude, the last i love sim city civilization game. any any game that's yes. built off a tech tree that kind of builds off of a tech tree is so much fun yeah there's a so. simpsons version of sim city Really, it's, dang- it's dangerous. I almost downloaded SimCity one night. You know, th- during the pandemic, I couldn't sleep, and I'm just you know laying in bed. It's like one o'clock in the morning. Like, why can't I sleep, Lord? And just you know, reading on my phone. Yeah. I thought I could play SimCity, and I thought, oh, that'd be a bad idea. I definitely wouldn't sleep. I'm not even gonna go 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 that way. My last video game was uh, Angry Birds. And like, I wasted way too much time on Angry Birds. And like, I, ever since, like, I just can't have video games around me. I can't have an Xbox. I can't have a Wii. I can't have uh, games on my phone or my right. computer. It's just, it's just too, too dangerous for me to have. Our kids, you know, they've, you know, and it's been cool. Like, they're able to chat with their friends. Yeah. So we got it all the parent, all the, you know, parental controls and all this stuff on there. But with their approved friends from church and school, and like they're able to talk to them on the headsets and play together. I'm like, oh, that's, that's really cool. neat. Yeah. And then we'll, then we'll have our family, you know, game times. Yep. We'll play soccer, we'll play FIFA or play, you know, Mario Kart, Mario Party. And, you know, a friend was like, hey, you should download the new Call of Duty uh, Warzone. It's free and we can play it. It's like, oh, all right, sure. And I thought, oh man, this is too good. I can't, I can't have this. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then the pandemic came and I, I passed my PhD exams and all that. Cause I was like, I can't have any of this when this starts. Yeah. When I actually start my PhD, like I, I can't have video games. And so right now it's like, okay, we got to try to milk it as much as I can. Cause as soon as those books come in, it's over. Yeah. Video games are now dead to me. <laughs> Oh, well, well, listeners, be sure to go and pick up Tony Rinke's books over on Amazon. Um, you might want to go ahead and order them now because it's going to take about a month before you can get them. <laughs> or you can get on Kindle, you can get on Logos, you can get on Audible, you can get on Christian Audio, and you can get them all those ways as well. And be sure to listen to the Ask Pastor John podcast where you can hear this buttery voice along with John Piper's, I wouldn't call his buttery, his urgent, urgent voice. Urgent, yes. Yeah. Earnest, and you can, urgent. Yeah. yeah all of those. And you can listen to them um, talk and listen to Pastor John there as well. And follow DG 
Um, and yeah, you know, leave a review for the show. Leave a review for Ask Pastor John. Be sure to tell your grandmother to tune in uh, to this new episode. And as always, just keep writing.